This is an ABC podcast. Those that have a go will get a go. Well, I've had a go, mate. I've worked for my life. National unemployment rate at the moment is, uh, I think it's 5.4. Sorry. I thought that election campaigns are tests of leadership, not tests of memory. Google it, mate. We had the debate. We worked through the hard issues. We came to an agreement. And I went to Glasgow. Hello. Hi, everybody. I'm Patricia Carvellis from RM Breakfast. And I'm Frank Kelly, and we're pleased to be joining you here on Gadigal Land at the Carriage Work. Hello, Sydney Writers Festival. Look at, Fran, look at all these nerds. I know. Welcome to, to the, the Party, party room, room Live. How good is Clap this? Clap again, please. It was part of the momentum. PK, who knew? that this election campaign was going to turn into an episode of Bob the Builder. We've had high fears and hard hats everywhere. We've even had, like, people pretending to be heavy machinery. Like, seriously. Like, like, and it makes me think, if you are to be one of those characters, I feel kind of bulldozer-esque in my... You surprise me not. (laughs) And I feel... I feel a little ScoMo bulldozer. I just want to go and... I'll I'll go with that. Knock over a child. I'll go with that, but... (laughs) We might get to that. But meanwhile, I'm the builder here. You rip them down, I build them up, okay? And just keep those party room numbers coming up. PK, I'm loving this game. I think we should just take it a little bit further. It's bringing out the inner three-year-old in me, all this heavy construction industry. In fact, I've never seen a woman get so excited about actually getting props for a show. And then the whole, like, and then you're going to wear this and you've got to zip it up. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, anyway. Right. So let's do this. We, I'm going to call out heavy machinery and you're going to think of a politician who matches it, OK? Sure. A.K.A. ScoMo Bulldozer, OK? He decided that one, so that's, that's settled. Yeah, OK, that, that settled. is settled. OK, this is, in my experience, the favourite heavy machinery of any three-year-old, the digger. Oh, the digger has to be Penny Wong, doesn't it? Like what? in estimate. Yes, estimates. That's what she does. She, ah, dig, she dig, does digs. that pensive. Mm. I'm so pensive, but she's so not pensive. But she, she does pensive, but, she but does she's dig. really about to go in. Okay, how about the steamroller? Oh, the steamroller. Who do you think the steamroller is, Fran? Well, I do have a thought. Do you remember when she stood in the, par- in the Senate and she was having a go at Pauline Hanson and she said... It's called being a bloody adult. Oh, is that, you? Is that your Jackie Lambie? That's my Jackie Lambie. <laughs> Did you just impersonate Senator Jackie Lambie Please on stage? Please don't tell her. No, although, uh, yeah. Now, there's another one that I know you quite like, the wrecking ball. You ah, like the wrecking the ball. the wrecking ball. The wrecking ball. And not the in that kind ball. of weird song, you know, that one where that chick no, does that no, thing. No, the, no, the, the not actual that one. wrecking ball that Rex sings. Okay, I think... Matt Canavan, because he likes to knock down any climate policy of any party. Now, this is a man who today tweeted that he's taken his wife to, like, 20 coal mines during the election campaign. Oh, what a guy. He did. He took a selfie with her and said, I've taken her all these coal mines because I'm so romantic. (laughs) He was obviously taking the mickey, but it was kind of slightly amusing. Obviously. PK, at the risk of pushing this analogy too far... We are at the cusp. I'm going to give you another one. Dump truck. That's fairly obvious. Conchetta Firavanti-Wells, who's now leaving the parliament, who decided on the night of the budget, right? Like the government's big reset. This is their moment. And what does she do? And she decides to say that the prime minister is morally incapable of being prime minister, not fit for office. A bully, no moral compass. Shall we go on? That sort of started it all off, really, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We went from bully to bulldozer. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when he said, I'm a bulldozer, I thought he was going to go full bully. I thought he was going to do... Because you heard the B, didn't you? And the you were bully like, that's thing. what it is. No, no, I thought that's where he was going. And yeah. then he sort of tricked us all and started talking about heavy machinery. OK, just one more, please. Can we do one more? Yeah. OK. Yeah. I nominate... You're going to love this one. The National Party Senator Bridget McKenzie as the cherry picker for her role in the sports fraud scandal because she got to cherry pick which grants she put into that colour-coded spreadsheet. I know. Never has a highlighter had such good use. Exactly. Enough of that game. Really? I think so. Hard hats off. All right.
Let's sit down. I already dressed like a banana for the event, so... <laughs> um, all right, well... I dressed like an Avenger. Now, can I just say, when I agreed to this, I didn't know that it was going... Take a seat, Frank. Okay, I didn't know it was going to be this close to the election, which in our no. world is a very risky thing to do. So we are here taking big risks for you. We're risky women taking big risks because there's only two more sleeps to the election, Fran, and we... I'm risky. I'm not a predictor. No, I'm just going to say that. that now. Yeah. I'm a little bit on that cautious so she side. She wants people to leave, clearly, because you <laughs> want to know what's going to happen. All right, let's get the party back on track, OK? Um, all right, you're not a predictor. I know. There's really only one question people want to know, isn't it? Who's going to win on Saturday night? Is that what you want to know? Yes. Yeah. PK, what do you think? No, go to another show. <laughs> Like, yeah. No, we can't tell you who's going to win, but we can tell you that this week, starting from last Friday, has been incredibly significant because the Prime Minister, after... And we make all the gags about it because it's funny. Being quite a sort of belligerent character and, and really leaning into his authoritarian style and crashing through things, had a bit of a change of heart, didn't he? And should we just play that change of yeah, heart? Let's yeah. hear Scott Morrison switching gears. Over the last three years and particularly the last two. What have Australians have needed for me, from me going through this pandemic has been strength and resilience. Now, I admit that hasn't enabled Australians to see a lot of other gears in the way I work. And I know Australians know that I can be a bit of a bulldozer when it comes to issues. Bit of a bulldozer, um, other gears. Maybe sometimes neutral would be nice. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, it was really manner for heaven, though, for Anthony Albanese, because it fitted right into where he wanted to go. Let's hear Anthony Albanese's quick response. Quick, pretty quick off the mark he was with this, too. Scott Morrison has today said he's a bulldozer. That is, a bulldozer wrecks things. A bulldozer knocks things over. I'm a builder. That's what I am. And if I'm elected Prime Minister, I'll build things in this country. This Prime Minister has four years in office, and what he's saying is... If you vote for Scott Morrison, I'll change. That's what he's saying. Vote for me and I'll change. Well, if you want change, change the government. And there we have it. Bulldozer versus Builder. And that's the reset for the last week of this campaign. Scott Morrison 2.0. How's the reset going for him, do you think? Oh, it's a really... Um, not, I'm not overly convinced by the reset because ever since he reset, he's also lent back into the bulldozer. Um, and I'm confused about that. Like, you know, in all seriousness, what is that? Because you either say this is a new approach and then you stick to it and try and demonstrate it, or you don't. And I think that he's been a little half-hearted about that reset because he's told us that, you know, people have wanted him to be strong in, on China and standing up to, you know, standing up to the pandemic, well, you know, closing borders and all of this. But he, he talks about other gears, but I don't feel like he's given us a lot of other gears since his moment where he realised he was a bit of a bulldozer. Well, so let's talk about why he realised that. I think it was obvious to all of us that he's seen the same polling that we're hearing about from a lot of people, particularly a lot of focus groups, particularly a lot of women in the focus groups. It's been very strong and, and hasn't really faded all through the campaign. That's the mail I'm getting anyway. Um, that The words coming through in the focus groups are things like, don't like his smirk. He's a bit of a dickhead. Don't like him. People you know. are saying that in the. Groups. Yeah, I'm they not are. saying that. Yeah. That's what people are saying. Yeah. And, um, but they are. They really no, are. They truly are. But the and, liberals actually tell you this. And so that didn't fade. And then they got the polling that uh, we saw leaked the other day, which shows a real gender divide in the vote coming through for the Liberal Party, so that oh, it's something like only 38% of women are voting Liberal, which is a problem. Like, Women voted strongly, actually, for Scott Morrison in the end last time. So this is a problem. He needed to do something. This is what he came up with, the I'm a bulldozer, but I'm going to change gears. I needed to be strong for you, and you liked me doing that. But the problem for him is he couldn't go really soft, because in this last week, he has to take every opportunity to whack Anthony Albanese around the ears every time and he can. And that's why I wonder about why a week out from polling day you'd choose to have this moment. Panic. Yeah. But also, you kind of want to, if you've, if you've had this, this kind of epiphany about the way that you behave, 
probably good to do it earlier and demonstrate that change. Because you're right, he can't, look, in some ways he can't demonstrate a change. And what you've noticed this week, which I find um, amusing, watching the press conferences, and I watch them all from start to end, I know, and, <laughs> and I've booked some therapy sessions in next week. That's um, why we're still here The Albanese ones and the Scott Morrison ones to me, by the way, are of, of equally painful. Um, I find them both very painful. And, uh, you know, the journalists have started adopting this language because he's enabled it now. So today, a reporter said, um, are you bulldozing your way through this press conference? And I was like, oh, man, this is... What a... Like, she just basically... He's enabled people to be able to describe him in this way. I think it was an own goal to actually have yeah, this epiphany so Yeah, but he's been claiming so it now, so he's owning it today by saying, you needed me to do that. You needed me to bust through these barriers during this pandemic. So he's trying to own it. All right. <laughs> Enough with the bulldozer. It's been a very long campaign, six weeks. That strategy... It's a trigger. The six weeks was because Scott Morrison was confident he could outplay Anthony Albanese. He could out-campaign him because he proved last election he was a good campaigner and he went running right to the end and he got there, as we know. PK, has he done that with the six weeks? Has it worked for him? Has it worked against Anthony Albanese? What I still reckon? think the six weeks has been good for the Prime Minister. And I think uh, very controversially, and I don't want anyone to throw things at me, but I do still think he's a good campaigner. Every time I say that, people get very angry with me, but he's a good campaigner. Uh, he, uh, one of the, the sort of tricks of good campaigning is repeating a message, you know, the vomit principle, till you want to puke all over yourself. You've heard it so many times. Um, that's what happens because he nails a line and he repeats it and he bulldozes his way through press conferences and he sticks to his line and he doesn't let anyone to go, let him go down their narrative. Anthony Albanese, um, I think, had a campaign that could have been very strong but hasn't had as strong a campaign. No, he, he hasn't had a strong as an campaign. Individual. But there is a theory, I suppose, that the, 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 fur the further we get along, the more people forget that first day one stumble of Anthony Albanese. But I think it's bigger than his first day stumble. I think generally there's been less discipline in his communication and that might be something we all resent about the way the political system works, but in really, really um, highly polarising campaigns, if you can't nail your lines, if you are a little bit loose sometimes, uh, and I use it, I'm not going to call him a loose unit, but the reason he's using the term loose unit, it's not like accidental, like Scott Morrison just went into the bathroom and went, oh, it's funny. No, it's not. Um, it's coming through that he's a bit loose, this guy. So he says it all the time, back to the vomit principle, he's good at it. You know, he's loose, he's loose. Now, Anthony Albanese's response, it's great, which is, He's loose with the truth. But ultimately, people are feeling a little undecided and nervous. Scott Morrison's job at the moment, and I believe, I'm not going to give you predictions, but I will say that I think it's absolutely possible that he wins a majority. I know that's controversial, but I really believe it. Um, I believe that his whole approach has been to kind of ram home his messages and the Times, and one of our guests will be able to kind of help us with this because she's written a lot of the stories on this, but the Times when he's been at his weakest is when he's gone off track, when he hasn't stuck to his core messages, when he's been, you know, talking about transport. Why on earth? Yeah. Why? Why is he allowing this thing to well, debate we'll see, to happen I suppose, in the Because the only path, I think, for Scott Morrison to win a majority is if he wins those so-called, this is such a weird term, peri-urban seats, and they're the ones that the transport message that he keeps talking about uh, are geared at building support in. So if he does go strongly in those seats, I think that's his only path to a majority. But just back on Anthony Albanese, um, it is true, I think, that at the start of the campaign, I was speaking to someone who'd done a lot of focus groups, and as I said, that was the, the critique of Scott Morrison was quite strong and the, and the anger, but the doubts about Anthony Albanese and do we want to risk the economy with this guy were there too, and I'm told that they're still here at the end. On that note, should we bring in our guests? I think that's the correct thing to do. <laughs> Samantha Maiden, political editor for news.com.au. Jacqueline Maley is a columnist and senior writer um, for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. You're trying to sort of build up to an individual You've got your own moment in the stage. How are you both? It's been six weeks. I think I needed a clap. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. And no, 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 no
Good on you, Sam, for asking for what you need. That's very, very good. Oh very, my God. very healthy. It's important to be able to articulate your needs. Woo. Where Listen. are we? Is this the sheer height report? Yeah, you're on the couch. Listen, we've ducked the question, but we're going to give it to you. Where are we at? Sam, how do you see Saturday night playing out? Uh, you can fudge the prediction, but what do you reckon we're looking at around? I think this is a very weird election. And usually you have a really clear idea of what you think is going to happen. Not necessarily always right, but you have a clear idea of what's going to happen. But I think this is a really weird one because the vote for the independents is so high at about, you know, 25, 30%. There's like a real degree of volatility in the proceedings. You don't know exactly how those preferences are going to flow. You can have a guess. And I think that, um, you know, getting ready to be sort of assaulted by some member of the audience later, I think that Anthony Albanese has thrown everything but the kitchen sink at losing this thing. And uh, he's just, he doesn't mean that he won't win. And it doesn't mean that um, he wouldn't be a good prime minister. But I think he's had a really red hot go at kind of not being very good at the campaign part. And uh, that has led to a lot of nervous Nellies in the ALP right now. Mm, that's true. There are but a lot of nervous they're Nellies. They're very nervous. But they're also, to be fair, it's not just about him, in my view. It's also about um, just how much PTSD they have since the last yeah. campaign. Yeah. And they know that their small target strategy comes with significant risks. They just, uh, I think that they're a little nervous about whether they'll land it. Before we go there, Jackie, how do you see Saturday Night playing out? Oh, look, I... I've, I have no certitude about anything. I think it's a really mysterious selection. Well, why have we got you? I know, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll see myself out. Um, no, I, I think have it's really... Have a crack, Bailey. If, <laughs> look, I guess if I, was, if I had to bet my house, I guess I would say... I'm, Don't, because I'll take your superannuation. I know. Yeah. I know. It's, it's so Sorry, fraught. that was just made. That was a cheap shot. That was, really that was cheap. Cheap. Another cheap shot from the oh, ABC. You've already got less... A One national superannuation. I think probably Labor's still on track to win, notwithstanding, you know, Albo hasn't had a great Jeez. campaign. A I writer's think... festival, left-leaning, I'm surprised. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, no, I think, I think he's done well. I think um, the focus on Morrison's character... I, look, everything I hear from the Liberal side is people don't like Morrison, people don't like Morrison, and I think that's a big hurdle to overcome. The campaign's kind of interesting because it's like we're in this eternal present. Like, you know, it's been six weeks. It feels very long. It feels long to journalists. I'm sure it feels long to, to non-journalists as well. Um, and yet, you know, elections are supposed to be about the future. Morrison hasn't really offered anything in the way of a future. Um, so I think people will... Uh, I think that's resonating this time around much more. Okay. So on some specifics... Obviously, the biggest issue in this campaign has been cost of living, right? And, Sam, obviously today we've got this kind of contest about who it will favour. The Libs putting out pictures of themselves as babies. Like, there's a picture from Simon Birmingham today being bottle-fed. What, bottle what fed. was that about? He's getting bottle-fed by his nana to show how long it's been since unemployment has been as low as it is now. Oh, right? yeah. is that so, what that was yeah, about? Yeah, it's like, never since this moment... <laughs> 1974. Um, and, you know, it's, so there's the, oh, unemployment's so low, look at the latest figures. There's a three in front of it, 3.9. I hope Albo can remember, that sort of thing. Um, then the, the, there's been gifts, really, like interest rate rise during the campaign, and now, obviously, the wages data that's come out and the sluggish wages. Who's it going to favour? Well, I think that jobs are important, sure, but uh, most people are worried about the fact they haven't had a real wage increase in a very long time. And so I think that that issue cuts both ways. Uh, equally, God, I'm turning into a real kind of sit-on-the-fence person and I hate those people. Equally, you are the, not the, that person. I'm not actually a sit-on-the-fence person. But the interest rate thing cuts both ways as well, right? Because on the one hand, there'll be people that will go, oh, well, you promised us great economic management and then look at inflation and interest rates are going up. The government has made the point that interest rates are going up, they argue, as a reflection of the robust nature of the economy and the fact that you know, we're in a recovery mode, uh, but that's small comfort to people that are facing increases in their interest rates. Uh, but equally, there may be some people that are like, oh, do I want to gamble on Labor? 
if interest rates are going up, uh, there'll be people that'll be swayed by that view as well. Yeah, that's a, I think that's true, the interest rate concern about the future, and then Scott Morrison is just pushing that for all he's worth. And But this whole housing debate too, I mean, if rates go up and house prices come down, there's a whole lot of people who've bought houses in the last few years who won't be feeling too happy about that. Let's try and talk specifics in terms, because I think a whole lot of people here would like a bit of a guide, we're not Anthony Green, but a guide to what to watch for on Saturday night. What seats will you be watching for? Because Anthony Albanese is going to Benelong, and if Labor wins Benelong, that's a bit of a wow moment. So mm. what are we looking at? I'm, yeah, I know I'm really interested in the outer metropolitan seats, so that, that band of, you know, sort of... Peri-urban. Sa- yeah, the peri-urban. Sounds, oh, like a, sounds like some sort of dermatised condition. I only heard it today, and I think it's great. <laughs> I've got a really bad times. taste of peri-urban. Uh, <laughs> peri-urban. <laughs> yeah, sorry, back to you. Dermatitis, yeah. Um, <laughs> I... <laughs> You really should see a doctor about that. Um, no, I'm going to be looking at, like, Reed, Parramatta, Fowler, um, Benelong. So, I mean, they're, they're the ones that are really interesting. They've got a lot of... They, they've got a really interesting urban mix. They're culturally diverse. They've got, you know, upper-middle-class so-called aspirational voters, but also a lot of um, working-class people as well. I just think they'll be really interesting. And, they're, you know, they're much more kind of indicative of the so-called real Australia or middle, middle Australia in an urban sense. If Christina Keneally doesn't win Fowler, then Labor's gone for money, aren't they? I guess so. I mean, it could, it could be that that's just, you know... We, Sometimes I think random things happen. And, and also, I think we focus so much as journalists on the bigger picture, like the federal leaders and stuff, but then we forget that there's really great local campaigns and really great local candidates, and they can actually often, you know, defy sort of trends and swings. So Look, we, that we saw happen. that in the election where Tony Abbott was yeah. lost his seat, yeah. but the government's still, <laughs> like, you know... Yeah, but that's just because he ate an onion and... <laughs> Christina Keneally hasn't eaten an onion, not no, that I'm aware of anyway. Not, not that we've seen. I do what, think, what will you be looking out for on the night? What are you obsessed with, I think with, that I'm ready to I mean, be Sam. named and shamed on the weekend over this if I'm wrong, but I think that the talk about Fowler is overdone. Yeah, I, think that, I do too. Yeah, I think that that independent has run a really good campaign and she'll probably give Christina, take some bark off her, but I don't think they're going to lose Fowler. Um, and I think that Anthony Albanese went to Fowler the other day. People kind of went, ooh, he's going to Fowler. Uh, because he was basically... What's he doing in Fowler? Well, he was basically going to this dinner that was set up forever to basically pat him on the back for being an Italian descent. You know, he could be the first Australian of Italian descent. Uh, he's the Prime Minister. And so it was yeah, just... Was that's it, the, it was the biggest Italian Marconi, club in the yeah. state. And he had told club. us the week before that yeah, he was yeah, going yeah, to be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then basically, nevertheless, the Australian Financial Review went, ooh. He's going to Fowler. And then everyone kind of repeats that and all the rest of it. Anyway, I've lost my track of thought. I said to you, what will you be looking at for the night? Well, I'll be doing something very tough on election night. I'll be counting to five uh, because, yes, they need seven seats to win, but, like, if they can get to 74, you know, they've kind of... They can get there with independence. So, first of all, I'll be counting to five. It's tough work being a political journalist. (laughs) One, two, three, four, five... And uh, then I'll be counting to seven, and if they get there, then it's all over. But the seats I'll be looking at, right, is obviously be fascinating um, to see what happens in Kuyong. I think that Josh Frydenberg will be okay. It'll be interesting to see what teal seats they pick up. Uh, You know, a lot of talk that they might pick up Goldstein uh, and, you know, North Sydney and all the rest of it we've talked about. Uh, Sure, Reid is interesting. Uh, You know, starting in the West... Well, we'll get to the West at the end, really, so we'll forget about the West. But in Tasmania, uh, you know, like, I, I do think that it's going to be a lot tougher than people realise for the ALP. That's the bottom line. They can only really pick up one in South Australia, which is Boothby. Maybe Grey could go to an independent, but I don't know. It's, it's really only one that's kind of in the bag. Uh, you know, will they pick up Chisholm? Like, if, if we start getting early numbers of Victoria and, like, Chisholm isn't flipping, that's when you'll... Yeah, the Labor Party will be having this, be this... Worried. ...the kind of, like, uh-oh, yeah. I think I've got a bit of a... Let's talk about the teal seats a bit more. Uh, Jackie, I know you've been watching them closely. I think I was in um, Kuyong just at the beginning of the week, and I, I agree, I think... I think the wind has gone out of the teal candidates' campaign a bit, or, or the Liberals have come. Because they're all I different. That particular one. Dubious. That particular uh, one. Look, you, you would remember that Christopher Pine pulled this... Christopher... Time for Pine. Christopher Pine pulled this stunt, I can't even remember how many years ago it was, where he ran for deputy leader in one of some leadership thing, 
and no one thought he had a chance. And he ran around saying to people, "Can you please vote for me? Because it'd be so embarrassing if I don't get a few votes." And then he like sook to so many people that he kind of did quite well. And everyone was like, "How dare you? Like we didn't, we weren't like going to put you up properly. Like, mate, you cheat, right?" And so, look, I'm not saying that. Josh hasn't had a bit of a scare, but I, I, I just, in my heart of hearts, I secretly believe that Josh commissioned a poll to say that he was behind, <laughs> so he could go around and say to people, I'm going to die, you need to save me. Well, I tell you what he did do, he has built the biggest billboards I have ever seen yeah. in my life. There are houses with them, you know how most have a sign like that. The signs are like this, yeah. and it's everywhere See, you go. See, this is the thing, this is, the man likes to stimulate the economy, and this yeah. is the thing about him, right? He just likes people to build, but Okay, the Teals. I reckon we've got a personally, and I've been watching the Teals because we're all very interested in this story. They're all very different stories, and when we all put them in one category, they've all got different little stories going on inside the Teal campaigns. In terms of the Sydney Teals. Um, seats like Wentworth, North Sydney. What's your read of which ones? Well, are look, likely? they might get they might get none of them, which I which I think is kind of an interesting story in itself because we will have wasted perhaps all this oxygen talking about them, um, and they might not pick up any seats in Sydney. But why have we wasted all this oxygen talking about them? It's not for nothing. I mean, it has become a bit of a media obsession. You might say that the media is obsessed with them because they're, you know, on the whole, nice-looking sort of middle-class women. Um, and perhaps we neglect some of the western suburb seats at, at the expense of the Teals. But I also think the fact that we're interested in them is because they represent something new in politics, they look fresh, and they are the democratic expression of a real lack, like a gap in the market, which is, you know... Women, you know, women not unlike probably a lot of people in this audience, professional middle class women or working women who don't see themselves represented in the system as it has been. Yeah, I, I don't think the media is interested in them because, you know, there's something a bit different. I think we're interested in them because Zali Stegall knocked off Tony Abbott and the Liberals are really, really panicking. Well, they're all, all of them. You know, with maybe the exception of someone like Zoe Daniel, other other and types Karen, of and Karen Phillips. Remember, she got yeah, yeah. She got went but they're, they're all the kinds of women that the Liberal Party, if it had wits about it, and if it had done something on female representation, maybe ten years ago, the Liberal Party would be pre-selecting for itself and taking those candidates because they're all high-quality candidates, right? As opposed to not naming any names, but some of the other candidates <laughs> they've picked up, they've chucked into the mix for this election. <laughs> well, like who might you be talking about? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not going to mention. Uh, let's not. Let's not go there. Okay. Are we going to go there? I yeah, don't know. sure. Why, Why not, not go there? You're talking about Catherine Why Deeves. Why we go no, there? I mean, okay. All right. Let's go there. Um, <laughs> Strap on your Wellington My boots, boots <laughs> and let's get into it. Um, what 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 is left to be said about Catherine Deeves? I mean, I think. Well, it was. It was. An most of the words have been peak. written by you now, Sam. No, no, but let's <laughs> have a little finish. We'll get which which of her tweets have we not unearthed? Um, I think it was an interesting pick. It just was it, it, the ma most interesting thing about it to me, and it's perhaps something quite disheartening. Is it's you know it's sort of like marks the official beginning of you know what is what was previously mostly an international or overseas culture war, which is this whole issue around trans women in sport and trans rights and stuff. And we've just it's like okay we've. It's part of our cultural discourse now, it's part of our political discourse now, and I don't think it's going away. And um, Morrison, you know, before he said anything on this campaign, he said, this is, you know, when he was talking about the Deeves stuff, this is a candidate I've pre-selected, and I'll have more to say on this issue later in the campaign. And so, he has. You know, and he has. So, and it's not like, you know, all this stuff has come up opportunistically that perhaps was unplanned about her background, but he was very, very certain at the beginning of the campaign that this is something that was in, was in his sort of sights as an issue. So the Prime Minister's been signalling that and coming back to it, and there was John Howard alongside Catherine Deves yesterday, which I thought was interesting. At the same time, the teal seats, even if they don't win some seats, and I think, maybe, I think certainly one... Uh, will we'll win. I'm not sure if there'll be any more than that. But they're going to take a huge chunk of vote out of, out of the Liberals, out of these Liberal moderate seats. Josh Frydenberg looks like he still will remain. There was a lot of talk of what will the Liberal Party look like after this election if Josh Frydenberg's not there, if Dave Sharma's not there, if Jason Falinski's not there, if Trent Zimmerman's not there. How okay? will they go on? Well, how will they go on? No, what will they look like? But I think it's a valid question. And what message will they take from this? If Catherine Deves gets a strong vote in Warringah, she won't win it, but there's a suggestion she could go well. And the Teal, the teal candidates make huge inroads into the Liberal seats. What message 
is the Liberal Party going to take from that? Are they going to say, oh, well, affluent voters, they don't vote for the Liberals, they vote on issues and not, not change? Or, well, or what one are they thing that will happen is that potentially they'll make those seats marginal, which means that the Liberal, you know, a couple of them have said to me, oh, my God, I didn't know I was going to have a marginal seat. And yeah, I, but I'm you talking, know, they thought, but but this is about what I signed up for. Yeah, I thought it would be easy. Yeah. Now I have to I hand out the Yeah, but I mean, the point I'm making is, will they take a message that, oh, we didn't need to do more to try and attract that slab of professional, ah. educated female voters. Okay. We need to do more on these sorts of issues. So, Sam, what is your view or on not? that? Because I think the moderates are thinking that they do need to do more work on that. I think they're going to have a be-all culture war about that. I do too. Um, particularly if they lose, you know, the sort of lines of attack are already being drawn. Uh, there's a good proportion of the Liberal Party, people in the Liberal Party, that believe that this idea that they need to go left to win is madness. Uh, that they need to go right and when they win big is when they have really strong, they're prosecuting cultural wars about education and values in school and getting Alan Tudge out there talking about family values. Um, why not? Why are you laughing? Stop it. Anyway, so like, I think there's a lot of people who think that Peter Dutton, for example, would be a a better smash them up and grab opposition leader. And sure, if the moderates want to mount a bit of a fight back, they can have a go. But, like, with whose army? I mean, there's not many of them left. Well, right. I, guess, with whose army? I guess the point is should the message. We're going to fight you, all three of us. Should the message be that the moderates have to work harder, or should the rest of the party go and look, hell, we're losing these seats we've had forever. We should maybe think about changing what? a little but bit. Seating their ground. Are you kidding? You think that, like, the. I know you're not, but, like, I mean, the Conservatives and the Liberal Party are going, no, have some of our porridge. <laughs> No, I don't think they're going to say that to the left. I mean, I think Sam's right. I don't think Barnaby... I think, well, I if anything, Barnaby Joyce and Peter Dutton are, are urging the teals on because they might do exactly that. They might take out their moderate rivals. But I think that we have seen probably a, a strengthening trend under this government as it's gone on of the right-wing rump of the party, you know, really taking ascendance. I mean, I, I just always bring people back to the National Party's primary vote, which is, what, like 4 or 5%. I think if you add in the LNP, you might get another 4%. And that's probably less than what the Greens vote is. The Greens are portrayed as, you know, lunatics on climate change, and yet we've had the other fringe really you know, if not dictating, then very much strongly influencing, um, you know, climate change policy within the government for a long time. So if it's brought, if it brings everybody back to the, to the middle a little bit more, then it would be more in keeping, actually, with mainstream Australian sort of principles, on, particularly on climate. Yeah. So on, on the... <laughs> <laughs> See, it is like Oprah. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to jump on a couch. On the yeah. impact of, of, of those other issues in the campaign, Sam... It will be interesting to see what vote someone like Deves does get, actually. Because uh, there's a view in the Liberal Party at the moment that actually, because there was a poll saying she was doing all right yeah. and they feel like she is, and they say, <laughs> one of them said to me, yeah, because she's not Tony Abbott. Um, but yeah. this, sorry to interrupt, but don't you think, I mean, whoever they put into that slot was always going to claw back a little bit of the Liberal Party vote. And the, th the good thing about Catherine Deves is, from their point of view, is that she's high profile, she's good looking, she's garnered a hell of a lot of press. So she, you know, she will claw back a significant, well, maybe but a significant portion. that's not necessarily portion. so. I mean, Rebecca Sharkey took Mayo, which was, you know, down a seat in the Downer dynasty, and each election she's really embedded Solidified. herself there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but I'm just saying whatever, whatever Catherine Deves manages to claw back, you know, you can probably spin it as her being a hero when, in fact, whoever they put in was always probably going to claw back a little bit of the vote. The mm. Liberal Party vote. Okay, so scenarios before I let you both go. Explain to me, Samantha Maiden, because I genuinely can't get my head around this, if Scott Morrison gets into a situation where he can form minority government, how does he pull off doing a deal with a teal or two? Well, maybe he doesn't need them. It depends how many... If he gets 74, he won't need them, will he? Yeah, so, I mean, he's, Rebecca Sharkey has already said that she is an um, independent from South Australia uh, who is saying that in the event of a hung parliament, she'd probably more rather stick with the Libs because, you know, she comes from what used to be a Liberal seat, so she doesn't think that her constituents would be very happy with her backing Labor. Um, she had a whole kind of explanation for so this. We did talk to her about that just the other day on, on TV and she said... It's going a bit wobbly. Well, what I said was, I will talk to the government first. So right. she's, she'll give them the first chance. Yeah, but they yeah. get the first chance anyway. Yeah, and, and you know, they might be able to get Catter, although Catter 
Oh, they'll get Cat. Cat yeah. is not going to go the other side. Yeah. Well, so, he, he, so, he so that's my point. Is, every time. So the point is that they could get there with seventy-four, but then, you know, maybe there would be like Allegra Spender or something. If she got up, she might, you know, who knows? I mean, sure. I think okay. a minority Labor. I mean, it would be exciting, right? A minority government and the bulldozer. <laughs> well, this is my point. So if it's okay, you imagine if it's one position, Scott it's, Morrison, it's Allegra. But he's also got a... Scott Morrison kind of deserves minority government. <laughs> Might teach him something. <laughs> I'm not sure if we deserve it, but... Can you imagine if he had to, like, deal with the Senate and the House of Reps? Um, oh, my God. So which gear do you think he'd go into? Because he's got more gears. <laughs> Can you imagine? He's got... I've got all the gears you want. Um, well, I don't know if bulldozer would work, but I think that's his go-to gear. Bulldozer I, I hate the bulldozer thing. Do you know why? It's and Sean Kelly I'm wrote shocked, it. Jackie. It'd be I mean, so exhausting, he, though. It's if his he, word. If he, yeah, if he, exactly. I was just saying, exactly. if you had a minority government, and then like you're dealing with all those independents, and then you had to find time to like background against all of them as well, it'd be like exhausting. Think, think of it. Why do you hate the bulldozer thing? <laughs> we think of all the leak text, text messages. Text messages. Let might get, might get no, you got to leak their text because, messages. Yeah, all of yeah. a, I mean, I, I think it's classic Morrison setting the agenda and and spin really because. Sean Kelly wrote for our paper very well this week. He was able to characterise himself as a bulldozer. All of a sudden we're talking about whether or not he's a bulldozer. How many gears has he got? Is he a honker truck or a... I don't know. We just um, did the whole first part of the show. Yeah, yeah. So, exactly. Sorry. So, no, so, so he's gap. managed to frame the conversation, where, as Sean Kelly wrote, probably much more um, compellingly than I can say, but he... His actual the charge against Morrison is not that he acts too fast and is like a lovable tank who like smashes through problems. It's that he doesn't act. You know, he has prevaricated. He's been he absent. Doesn't hold a hose. But, he doesn't hold a hose. But this is the so thing. So I it's actually genius on his part. I, I yeah. have that little kind of like <clears throat> reaction when people use the term gaslight. I find it really overused and it just annoys the hell out of me. However. When Scott Morrison calls himself a bulldozer, yeah, it is the ultimate gaslight yeah. moment. Yes, that's right. Because it's like, it's like, you know, I've been thundering along doing everything and being so powerful and saving you all. <laughs> but I can stop and I can give you a bit more bedside manner. But all Sam, right. <laughs> but Sam, and like, and like, and like, and, you, and we're all going, that's not what we said. No, that's right. You're the guy who forgot to order the rats and forgot to order the vaccines. Yeah, I yeah. told you that, you know, fighting with your ex-husband. He's like, I told you to take out the bins and you didn't take out the bins. But he's Sam, like, oh, just, you want me to love you, just before you <laughs> Just before you leave us, Sam, I, I'd really like to hear firsthand from you because you actually sat in on some focus testing. So I've been sure. quoting focus testers. You actually were there, the other side of the glass. Yeah. Just give us... Uh, what are the people oh, saying? Oh, it's so good. So, look, I know that it makes me, like, a sicko political tragic that I was so excited to sit into a focus group. But, hello! I'm so that's jealous exactly you what I am. Of Is course it? I'm a sicko political tragic. So, basically, I got to sit in on this focus group and it was so good because I love the natural wisdom of the Australian voter. And... All of these voters were chosen because they were undecided voters, they weren't into politics, and at the beginning of it, they kept saying, I'm not really into politics, like, I don't know much about politics. And then they would just... And, and they, they, they really had that belief about themselves, and then they started to get into it, and they, they just knew so much more than they thought they did, and they were so insightful. And, like, I am always waiting for that magic moment in the focus group where... Aloha. Exactly. Hawaii. Hawaii is raised, right? <laughs> Completely unprompted. Basically, at some point during the, in the focus group, like they don't raise it. Suddenly, this woman goes, yeah, and didn't he go to Hawaii? <laughs> and like, didn't he just nick off? Who does that? And like, you know, wasn't he meant to be looking after us here? And he just nicked off. Why did he do that? And then another woman chimes in. Because he wanted a holiday. <laughs> and I'm just listening to this going, yes, the Hawaii moment. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Final comments, because we're going to take questions and bid you both farewell. But for you, what has been the one moment of the campaign where you thought, wow, this is such a defining moment? Oh, look, I do think, I do think the crash tackle yesterday was like, you know... <laughs> I knew we'd get back to really? the crash tackle. Also, also, I love today people are like, he did it on purpose because... <laughs> what? 
I, and, and I love that people have such a low opinion of Scott Morrison that they literally think that he would like bodily sort of crush yeah. an, an innocent seven-year-old soccer moppet. Did you, did you let your um, daughter watch the footage? No, I should do that. Okay, because I, I let my that. kids watch what, it. What's the child reaction? And my went, oh my God! And I said, what? She said, it's, it's soccer! Yeah. You don't need to touch anyone in soccer. Red card. The outrage. Red card. What's been your campaign? Yeah. Hang on, hang on. Yeah. I was just going to say, maybe it is just a dad move. You know how dads just play too rough sometimes? Yeah. Like, there's even an episode of Bluey about that. Yeah. Um, there <laughs> is. Yeah. A rough It's true. Thing. It's important. But did you think yeah. it was actually the defining moment oh, like, oh, for people? Uh, Sorry. No, I mean, Thank I don't you. think that... No, um, I don't think he did on purpose. He did it on purpose. But, um... <laughs> um I think he hurt his knees. <laughs> Yeah, I do, because it was sort of like the physical personification of like what a lot of people think about Scott Morrison. And you could read either thing into it, like, oh, they're such a buffed, you know, or such a lovable dad, you know. He, he tries his best, he's out there on the field, that kind of thing. Good so on him having of, a go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Nobody, was, nobody was hurt, he's all right. <laughs> no you one broken arm. Yeah. Sam, how about for you? Uh, I really enjoyed the moment that Tracy Grimshaw... <laughs> oh, yeah. Put, put her glasses sort of like halfway down her nose on a current affair and said, how long have you known that you're a bulldozer? <laughs> and it was like, it was like he was, it was like he was in a psychology, a psychology session, right? And he like answered it really seriously. He was like, oh, like a long time. <laughs> it's not new. I've known since forever. And I thought, my God. It's not like gender dysphoria, but like it's like inanimate object dysphoria. I'm a truck. I've always been a truck. Please, please, um, I'm I'm actually cry laughing. So I don't do very much. Samantha Maiden, Jacqueline Naylor. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Um, jeez, it's like... That was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> okay, see if you can top that. It's your turn now. Questions without notice. The Leader of the Opposition. Thank you, and, and I'm pleased the question time at least is happening, Mr Speaker. So um, thank you. I've been a long-time listener of the party room and I've always liked the musical interlude. So I want to know what is your go-to election night party song? Ooh. Ah. Thank you for asking a good question. Okay, mine is, you give me goosebumps, heart thumps, you make my body jump, because that's how I feel on election night. Mm. <laughs> Mine's George Michael's Freedom, hands down. Because I feel free when I have the questions of who's going to be the next government settled. I feel very not free before. Her answer to any musical question is, is George Michael. But there are many George Michael songs. Yeah, I was yeah. specific. Over uh, here. Uh, thanks. Uh, long time listener, as always. My question is about the Labor Party post-election. Is it more of a soul-searching or more of an exorcism should they uh, be unsuccessful? I, I, I have no. I really have no idea of what's going to happen if they lose. And as PK suggested earlier, there's a lot of people, in a lot, lot of Labor politicians at the moment. They're all working very hard, zigzagging around the country, looking for every vote, with a certain sort of PTSD when those polls came out earlier in the week, and suddenly the gaps tightened, and it's deja vu all over again. Um, if they lost what we will see is generational change. Anthony Albanese has made a point of saying he'd had more in his first, in his government, there would be more returning cabinet ministers than any other new government. A lot of those people I think would, would be, would either leave or would sort of step back a little and we'd see some, some new talent moving through. I don't know, exorcism, is that an exorcism? Maybe. Yeah. But there's certainly been soul searching. Okay. I think a, lot of a couple of things. The, the, the the small target strategy will be absolutely trashed and critiqued. The idea that you just get rid of Scott Morrison and you make it a referendum on his character, you watch. It's all whoever wins that the narrative's determined by, yeah. always. You're either... One of the chief Labor strategists said to me off the record the other day, you know, if this strategy works, I'm a genius. If it doesn't, I'm a F-wit. <laughs> and I said, yeah. 
And he goes, let's hope it works, because this is... It's very well designed, right? And I think Anthony Albanese will, will actually carry a bit of the blame as the candidate. There, there are views inside Labor that perhaps if they had a sort of different leader, some sort of product differentiation, wasn't just two old white guys, um, perhaps... I don't know, could have tried a woman leader. I mean, they yeah, do have 50%. Yeah, but that's not his fault. That, that was that's, a party decision, right, to elect yeah, him. That's their decision. but Labor will have that. I believe that Labor will have that, that I mean, um, moment if that is to be the case. Oh, yes, perhaps the biggest liability for both parties, as it's turned out, may be their leaders. That, that might be the analysis. But if, if, the, if the small target strategy is blamed, well, hang on, the big target strategy was the problem last yeah. time. So, you, you know... You need a medium part. I actually, <laughs> I actually think Anthony Albanese laid out a strategy quite cleverly. He, at the very beginning, laid out speeches about a renewable energy you know, transition and, and had markers all the way along. But I do think the pandemic made it difficult for him to be known at all because there was really little space for an opposition leader to, get, to be heard and do the things that opposition leaders normally do in an election And that's campaign. probably why he's not as practised on this campaign. Uh, that's what I think. That's what I think. Because you need to be sort of battle-ready for a campaign, you know, used to yeah. sort of this, you know... Harden. All this, the press is so full-on. Yes, the press is full-on. This, yes, you've got to harden up. Next question. Hi. Um, one of the things that I guess we've been seeing a lot more over the last few election cycles is the terminology moderate liberal or modern liberal. And obviously the Teals have kind of really been using the voting records of, say, a Dave Sharma, you vote for him, you'll get a Matt Canavan. But do you actually think there's some merit to the fact that calling yourself a moderate, li moderate liberal but you do have that same voting record as people quite on, either on the far right of your own coalition or with parties such as One Nation is actually disingenuous to the voting public? Do you mean if your party is voting for the same position as Barnaby Joyce that you shouldn't be able to call yourself a moderate Liberal? Well, or in a sense, if, you're, if, you're, if you are intending yeah. to only vote with your caucus and you are going to vote on things, say, for example, the Religious Discrimination Bill, and you still want to call yourself a moderate Liberal, do you think that is dis disingenuous? I think voters will think it is. Do I think it is? I think you can call yourself whatever you want, personally, but voters won't believe you. And that's why Trent Zimmerman is fighting, I don't know what will happen, but he did cross the floor. Yeah. And in fact, he went further than Labor um, in terms of crossing the floor and making the point that he did. So, and I think he will be even credit for that because he, you know, told the LGBTIQ community that he would do this and then he honoured that. Um, I Does think that, the point made by the Teals is, though, that they don't do it enough. Yes. And Tim Wilson calls himself a modern... Liberal. He doesn't call himself a moderate liberal because on many issues he's not moderate. Um, but he's got this term. Same with Josh liberal. Frydenberg. He says he's moderate on lots of issues, but he's conservative on some. And look, the truth is, yeah, actually, if you look at the political spectrum, people do have a range of views that are sometimes contradictory, and the li life is a little more grey <laughs> than this, these, this polarised thing. Well, also, when you sign up to be a member of a political party, what you're signing up for is to follow the, the, the party majority position on mm. many... Uh, the, the Libs like to say, well, at least we're allowed to cross the floor yeah. in our party, whereas in Labor, they're not allowed to. So, you know... So is it disingenuous? Well, the voters will decide, won't they? No, honestly, I don't mean to... I'm not squibbing it. It's quite the opposite. They will go, we don't believe you're moderate enough, and we'll see it in the results. There was a very interesting moment this week. I saw a Facebook post from National Party's um, MP, Darren Chester, and he said the very first line of the vote was, I've been approached by around 30 people at the pre-polling in the last week have said to me, why are you a member of the National Party that has Barnaby Joyce as leader? So I guess he's, he's saying the same thing and, and maybe they're asking him to, forcing him to have a bit of introspection about that question. He went on, it was a very startling Facebook post actually, because he went on to talk about how divisive he believes Barnaby Joyce is and basically said he has no relationship with him. Next question. James. Hello, this is a frightfully dated question going all the way back to the first week of the campaign. But oh, what... God, I barely remember. <laughs> What do you make of the, uh, the gotcha or the, the sort of the, the name, these six points, the one that uh, Albo what, you know, got um, pummeled with, James Diaz got with um, almost a decade ago, that sort of thing? Do you think, where, where's, where's that line stand between, you know, that's just a, just a lame game of trivial pursuit versus this is something that you really should know? Where, where do you think that line stands? I thought when it came to that moment um, that Anthony Albanese should have known the unemployment rate and the cash rate. I think these are pretty basic economic facts that most that people who are in, you know, politics or in what we do 
should be across. Um, like he, he obviously owned the mistake. He was quite way off, which is part of his problem. But when he did stab, he stabbed way off. And it was right at the centre of the government's argument that they had pushed unemployment to record lows. And all of a sudden, he thought it was 5.2 when it was 4, right? So not a great moment for him. Anyone who spins it, and I know some very, very passionate Labor people who try to, but you've just you've got to own your own mistakes. And he did. Um, Gotcha questions I find irritating, but but you equally need to be across your policies. Now, I think making him like a robot, I don't like robots. I mean, the Prime Minister always shows off about every figure he knows. Uh, who cares? The it's, Prime Minister has been, he's like Rain Man in this election. Yeah. He's got figures coming out his head. Yeah. And I find that like, yeah, you're showing off, like yeah. you remember every figure. But it's about being economically literate and across the, these ideas. And so even with the six points, I didn't like the framing of it and then the kind of... I thought it was sort of uh, unedifying. But, yet yeah, broadly, knowing the sort of six points of your own campaign, I don't think it's too much to ask. It's your own campaign. It's your own, sorry, policy. I thought the six points was a bit of a red herring, actually. And I thought what the problem for Anthony Albanese was the way he managed it. Like, you know, he then went off and got the bit of paper and the cameras were rolling and, you know, as a leader, and I think this is what Scott Morrison does so much uh, better than Anthony Albi does, Albanese does, is manage the press pack and sort of have control of it. So when he wants to shut it down, he does it without... Anthony Albanese sort of gets irritated and, you know, takes a while for it to shut down and then the press are so adding... So kind of bulldozers? And, uh, well, perhaps. But um, I agree with PK. I don't think the, the unemployment number really rates... I don't think you can classify it as a gotcha moment because I think it is something that anyone running for office should know, especially when their I campaign say... is going to be based around work. I think he should have known that. I think he did know it. I think clearly he got... He had a brain knew it. it was all over that budget. It was like... Everywhere. Um, yeah, I think he had a brain fade. It was the first day of the, of the campaign. Rabbit in the headlights, right? Well, That's how yes, it felt. I think so. And a bit was, what you he, said before, maybe not battle-hardened. Not battle-hardened. And all I can tell you is that the Labor campaign says to me all the time, we're so glad it happened on the first day. Yes. Because not only will people forget, not for that reason. That's not the reason. I mean, that's one of the reasons. But the main reason is if you get that burnt that early, man, you, it's a baptism of fire. You are poring over those documents every night, right? And that's what they, they said was useful about it. All I can tell you before we go is that I've never worked harder than my home schooling period where I did <laughs> unpaid labour and boy, oh boy, do I prefer getting paid for my labour. Yeah, that's right. The great exhaustion. Sydney Writers Festival, thank you for coming Thank you out. so much for coming to the party room. Now... Just to be clear, don't tell anyone what we said. It was all Chatham House rules, although we are going to put it in our podcast feed. Thank you so much. She's Frank Kelly. See you later. Cheers, PK. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.